Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Hello this morning. Um, my name is Richard Tysinger. As Luke said, I have the privilege of being a resident here at Mount Zion. I get to work with these amazing people in the front row right here, these absolute amazing youth members. And in fact, whenever I was first writing the sermon, that's actually who the sermon was for. So you have to forgive me because we're going back into the book of John. I know we've been there for like what feels like about five years at this point, but today we're going to focus on something a little bit different. But first I'm going to tell you a story. There once was a boy. Now this boy, he really didn't have a care in the world. Life was great. He was happy all of the time. He was constantly smiling. There really wasn't a worry in the world. For lack of a better word, this guy was on cloud nine. Everything was fantastic. But then in a single day, tragedy struck and his whole world crumbled around him. And you see, I can share this story with you today because, well, it's my story. All through middle school and high school, I had this friend. Her name was Alicia Greer. And I knew her since the fifth grade. We were incredibly close. Have you ever had a friend who knew you honestly better than you probably knew yourself? That was her. Honestly, I don't really think best friend is a word that I can use to adequately describe the relationship we had. We were more like siblings. We could have whole conversations with each other without either one of us saying a single word. All it took was the look. Whenever I accepted my call into ministry my junior year of high school, I was really uncertain about it. I was scared. I'd had my whole life planned out. Everything was perfectly good, or at least I thought it was. So whenever I felt God calling me into ministry, it kind of shook my world a little bit. And one of the first people that I called was her. I called her, my family, it was right after camp. My family had went camping or campering or whatever you want to call it. And... I remember calling her on the phone and telling her, hey, I think God is calling me to go into youth ministry. And immediately she began to pour affirmations upon me of how she saw that I could do it well, that I could be a good youth pastor, that I could love people well. She was my number one fan. But then, like I said, tragedy struck. February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, our youth ministry met. Our youth ministry always, right before Valentine's Day, we do this thing where we give flowers to our girls. It's just a sign to show them that they're loved, that they're respected. And so we were doing that this year, and I gave her a flower because I did love her. I did respect her. She was incredibly important to me. We talked. We hugged. We went our separate ways. The next morning, I woke up, and I remember my mom saying, hey, can you come into the living room? I need to talk to you. And that's when she told me that when Alicia was getting up that morning to get ready to go to her DCCC classes, that she'd had a brain aneurysm, that she died. She was gone. 
that there was nothing that anyone could have done. It was over. Now, you might be wondering why I'm telling you this story. It's not because it's easy. In fact, it's been a story that I've been struggling with all week to be prepared to give today. And it's not because I want to say, hey, look what I've been through. Look what I've done. Because in fact, I'd rather just push it aside and nobody see it. But I think sharing this story today helps to illustrate the idea that everyone experiences grief and pain at some point in their life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much money you have, you will experience grief and pain. And we see this throughout scripture continuously, the story of grief and pain and hurt. For example, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Job. I just absolutely love this book. And this book follows, I guess you can guess it probably, the man named Job. And it kind of goes along this. Job has a perfect life. Everything he could possibly want, he has. He has a great family. He has money. He has a great house. Everything is perfect. He's following God and his calling in his life. He's doing all of the right things. But then everything goes wrong. In a single day, his livestock is stolen from him. His house is destroyed with his family inside. His fortunes are gone. He becomes sick. He's hurting. Flash forward into the future and we get to the book of John. And that's where we're going to be today, John eleven seventeen through 41. If you want to go ahead and flip there for me, I'm going to give you a little bit of context of what is happening. Now, this set of scripture is known as the death and resurrection of Lazarus. But it starts out with Lazarus being sick. And Mary and Martha send a messenger out to go and find Jesus. In times like this, it wasn't as easy as just picking up your phone and saying, hey, Jesus, I need you to come down here. In fact, a messenger would oftentimes have to travel from town to town hunting down the individual. And we find out that the messenger finally finds Jesus and he stays in the town that he was in for two days to fulfill his mission. And then he begins to depart for Bethany. And that's where we pick up in verse 17. This is what it says. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? It says in scripture that when the sisters heard that Jesus was coming, that Martha ran out to meet Jesus, whereas Mary stayed within the house with the mourners. I think we see two appropriate ways to respond to grief in this. You have Mary's response. Mary chooses to stay in the house with those who love her. I can remember when Alicia left, whenever she passed away, me and my close friend group, we went to my science teacher's house, Miss Lisa Laughlin, and there wasn't really an agenda that day. There wasn't really anything that we were there to do. We were simply there to be there together. We cried together. We talked together. We were broken together. This is exactly what we see Mary doing in these passages. She's at home. She's with her people, those who understand her pain and understand her grief. But we can't just rely upon those we love, our friends and our families, to help us in times of grief. There's something that we need beyond just that. And that's what we see Martha do. Martha gets up, goes out of the house, and runs to Christ. Now, I think as Christians, oftentimes we have this approach that if we're going to run to Christ, we have to have all of our ducks in a row. Everything has to be perfect. But in fact, that's the opposite of what we see happening here in Scripture. The first thing that Martha says is, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. There's still grief, there's still pain within her. The Wednesday after Alicia died, we met once again as a youth group. And all we did was pray. We had a series of prayer stations that you could choose to go through. I think I only actually made it through one of them. But we were able in that moment to just be with God, to be together in our brokenness, but also to be with Christ in our brokenness. We were able to be hurt together, and we were able to ask our questions together. You see, oftentimes we think that questions are the enemy of faith, but I think if we actually look at Scripture, it points to something very different than that. Our natural response when grief happens, when we lose someone, when there's pain, is to ask, why? Why did this happen? 
I can remember when Alicia first passed and on to many months afterwards, I was overwhelmed with these questions. Why Alicia? Why now? We were so close to graduating. Why not me? Alicia was a great follower of Christ. You could ask her and she had wisdom beyond her years. Why did she go, but I was still here? These questions, they bombarded me and took over my mind on a consistent, everyday basis. And we see that in Scripture, this isn't an uncommon occurrence. If we go back to the book of Job, we once again see Job questioning God of why this has happened to him. He didn't sin, so why are all of these bad things occurring? Or maybe you want to go forward a little bit more in history to King David, a man with the title that he's a man after God's own heart. Now, David had his list of sins, and the one he's most known for is his adultery with Uriah's wife. And it happened that the consequence of that adultery and the death of Uriah that happened because of the adultery was that David's son would die. And when David finds this out, he doesn't just accept it. He doesn't just roll over, he pleads with God. He questions God. It says that he refuses to eat, he doesn't sleep, he just is pleading with God. We see this happening also with Mary and Martha in the book of John. Even though they are surrounded by people who love them and who care for them, Even though they have run to Christ, they still have a great pain within them. They're not healed. They still feel loss. They're still experiencing grief. But I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus says to Martha. He doesn't push aside her pain, but instead he gives her hope. He says, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha in this moment doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. She thinks he's talking about the end times, that at the end of the world, at the end of time, Lazarus will rise again and they'll be together. But really what he's trying to tell Martha is actually at the end of today, you're going to be with Lazarus again. He's coming back. Now, I know that in many of our lives, that's not the case of what happened in our grief story. We didn't have the privilege of our person coming back. Alicia is still gone. It doesn't matter how much I pray, she has passed away. But I also can have hope because of what Martha says after that, or what Jesus says after that, sorry. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. We can have hope in our times of grief because he is the resurrection. We can have hope because we will see those people again. And there will be no pain and no grief because Christ has already paid the ultimate cost for all of us. But I think there's something else that we can also glean from the scripture. 
and something that honestly has stuck out in the scripture to me for a very, very long time. In fact, it's actually why my favorite verse is found within these scriptures. And it's not your normal favorite. It isn't John 3.16 or Philippians 4.12. It isn't something that gives you joy or happiness or comfort, but instead it's something that's raw and is broken. And it's honestly two very simple words. Jesus wept. Now, I know those aren't really the pretty verses that you want to put up on your wall, but those are the verses that have meant the most to me in my walk with Christ. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just there for Mary and Martha. He wasn't just simply walking there beside him. Instead, he was with them. He was experiencing grief and pain and hurt. That's why he wept. Oftentimes when we think about weeping, we think about just simply crying. But weeping is really something that goes far beyond simply just crying. Oftentimes whenever we see in scripture that people are weeping, it is accompanied by tearing of clothes, by deep pain and hurt, by sorrow. It's more than just crying. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Everything we experience Christ has experienced. He has experienced grief. He's experienced pain. He's experienced betrayal. Everything that we go through, Christ has also gone through. But, it, but Jesus goes a step beyond that also. He hasn't just gone through what you've went through. He's also going through it with you. He doesn't choose to simply leave us behind. He instead walks in our valleys, and our pain with us. Oftentimes, whenever you first experience loss, people will tell you that you kind of just get over it, that you're learned to move on, that it won't hurt every single day. Well, I can go and tell you in my personal experience with grief and pain, that's not really what fits. There are still days that I wake up and I wish Alicia was here. There are still days in which I wish I could give her a call and unpack the decisions that I'm making, that I could seek her wise counsel, that I could just simply hang out with her. There's still hurt. There's still pain, even after all of these years. But whenever that pain does come, there are some things that bring me comfort. And one of those things is actually a poem and I'm pretty sure everybody in this room probably has seen this poem at some point. I think it's kind of a staple within almost every single Southern house. I can remember my parents used to have it up hanging in their bathroom. It's a Fishback Powers poem. And this is what it says. It says, one night I dreamed a dream. 
As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest of times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all of the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you. I will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. See, that poem, it's not in scripture. It's not biblical. But I don't think it's heretical either. There are great biblical truths represented within that poem. Specifically, I think within those last two paragraphs, they're incredibly powerful. With grief and loss, it's often difficult to see where God is in it. I know that whenever I was experiencing my grief and loss over Alicia, I didn't feel like God was anywhere in it. I felt alone and forgotten. But afterwards, I look back and I see just how faithful he was in that time. That his grace consistently showed up for me in that time. That he placed people of importance in my life. Whenever the anxiety and depression was overwhelming me, he placed individuals who were there for me. You see, I wish that I could tie this sermon up in a pretty bow. That I could tell you, well, that everything just is going to work out and it's going to be great. And it is, don't get me wrong, at the end we know the resurrection is coming. But that doesn't make it hurt any less. You see, grief and pain requires a certain level of rawness that makes it impossible for it to look pretty or for it to be simple on paper. And honestly, the things I've shared with you today are just things that I've learned. I'm in no means an expert of the grief process. I'm still learning and growing in my relationship with God. I'm sure there's some people in this room that have much more experience with grief than I do. But there are some things that I have found to always be true. I have found it to be true that when I'm in pain, I can run to God. That when I'm in pain, I can find those who will experience the pain with me, that will hold me and support me. I found that I serve a God who is willing to walk through those valleys with me. Some days, it's more difficult to see that. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. Even when we feel alone, forgotten, or broken, we have a God who is there for us, sees us, and loves us as a father loves his children. I know that we can trust in what Jesus has told us, that he is the resurrection, that he is the life that never ends, that we can have a hope 
for the future because he has made the ultimate sacrifice so that we should. Oftentimes it's easy for us to view God in the light as though he's on the opposite side of our valleys and our troubles and he's beckoning us forward through them. But I know that it is not the God that we serve. We serve a God who takes us by the hand and leads us through those pains and through those sufferings. And even though it's not always easy to see, we can know it is true in our heart because of the ultimate sacrifice that he's made for us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come before you, God. I pray, Lord, that even in our times of grief and pain, that you continue to hold us, that no matter what we may be experiencing in life, that we may see you and feel you. I pray, God, that you are faithful and moving in our lives, that we may never feel alone or forgotten, for you are there. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.